I think a lot of people are confused about doubt. I think a lot of Christians are confused about doubt. I think it's kind of a truism that, that people, even Christians, can have doubts about different things and kind of struggle in their faith from time to time. I think the confusion, though, is that when we begin to think that that's the way that it's supposed to be, that we're supposed to be kind of accepting of that and kind of, kind of let that go, we never see that in the Bible. We don't see doubt commended in the Bible. Doubt is something that, yes, we, we may have difficulty with doubts of various kinds. We may doubt uh, God's word. Or we may doubt that God is with us from time to time. But doubt is not something to be accepted. Doubt is not something to be, to be uh, left in our lives. Instead, doubt is something to be battled to be dismantled, to be destroyed. It is something for us to, to, to fight against. As, as Jesus Christ has overcome the grave, and he's overcome death, and he's overcome our sin. So with the certainty of that and the clarity of that, we ought to have the confidence in God's promises and God's salvation that overcomes all of our fears and all of our, our doubts. Jesus told Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. Believe. Today, I hope that as we see God's saving power and as we see his saving works, that we, we will have food to nourish our faith, to build up our faith, to no longer doubt, but to believe. Today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 13. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 13. Start in Exodus chapter 13. What we see first is faith in God's faithfulness. We believe that God is a faithful God, a, a promise-keeping God, the one who is, who is constant and steadfast, and we are going to have faith in God's faithfulness. Faith in God's faithfulness. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. Exodus 13, verse 17. Start there and let's, let's read together. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was, very, that was near. For God said, uh, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people uh, around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt to quit for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from, from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihaharoth between Migdol and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. Usually encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say, at the, say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from seeing us, serving us? So he made ready a chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pihaharoth in front of baal Zephon. Well, God is the one who is leading Israel as they leave Egypt, but they are not going by the way that anybody would have expected. So you can see there in verse 17, they're not going by the way of the Philistines. So if you're kind of thinking of the uh, Sinai Peninsula, it's kind of shaped like a triangle. Well, what you really want to do if you're going from Egypt to Israel, you just kind of want to go in a straight line. Shortest distance between two points is a straight line. That's the direction you want to go, except God says, not taking them that way. That's the way of the Philistines. There's a a major group of people who are there. Uh, God could certainly, the same way that God delivered Israel from the power of the Egyptians, the same way that he's going to empower them to to conquer the Canaanites, he could enable them to overpower the Philistines. But uh, the time is not right for that yet. God had said about the Amorites, uh, the people who are living in the promised land, you know, it it takes time for their iniquity to be complete. That is, uh, God is patient with them. God was patient with the Egyptians. Uh, God is patient with people uh, while he is giving them a chance to respond to, to what God has revealed about himself. And so uh, the Philistines are newcomers to that region, so it's not time for them yet. Don't, don't go by the way of the Philistines. The problem is, is that he knows what the hearts of the Israelites are like. They go to war with the Philistines, they'll want to turn back and go to Egypt. Later on we're going to see that's exactly uh, what they want to do. God leads the people, though, down south toward the southern wilderness. So if you're thinking, again, of modern, kind of modern geography, he's leading them from uh, Egypt in the, in the north. More than likely, he's leading them toward Ethiopia in the south. So he's leading them down, and it's kind of like, if, it's kind of like he is leading them where they are, they are trapped by the desert to the south, and they are trapped by the Red Sea to the east. And then if, if, if Pharaoh would come after them, when Pharaoh does come after them, he's going to be coming at them, he's, he's leading them into a trap on purpose. God is, God is leading them there where they can't get away. There's, there's no other way for them to go, seemingly. Well, God says to, says to uh, Moses, says, I'm, I'm leading them this way because what's going to happen is Pharaoh is going to see what they're doing is going to think, well, they're just wandering around the wilderness. And it says that the way that God had said earlier in chapter 4, the way he would said in chapter 7, the Lord will harden Pharaoh's heart. And you notice there it is the same as what God had revealed about himself in chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11. He revealed the same thing in chapter 12. God is, has raised up Pharaoh so that God would display his power over Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He's the most powerful man in the most powerful civilization on the face of the earth. The the most powerful civilization on the earth up until that point in time that the earth had ever known was the, the nation of Egypt, the civilization of Egypt. And Pharaoh is the most powerful man. And God says, I'm going to raise him up. I'm going to make him a spectacle. I'm going to make people look at him. I'm going to make him my number one contender so that when I knock him out, everybody will know that the Lord is the champion. The Lord is the savior. The Lord will get glory over Pharaoh. There's one thing that hasn't been defeated for Pharaoh. Now, one of the things that happened is through those plagues that God had sent uh, on the nation of Egypt, he had uh, overwhelmed the, the so-called gods of Egypt. He had overwhelmed the economy of Egypt. He had overwhelmed the people of Egypt. He had demonstrated over and over again his power. One thing was still around. It's Pharaoh's army. 
And you can even see one of the things you should notice here, kind of, kind of notice the same thing when, when God is describing all the armor that Goliath has. You know, if you remember the story of David and Goliath, you look at that in 2 Samuel, uh, uh, or 1 Samuel 17, talks about how big his spearhead is and how big his armor is and how great he is. Well, that's to describe what he trusts in. Same thing here with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's got, Pharaoh's got this army. Pharaoh has these chariots. Pharaoh has these horsemen. You kind of think of chariots and horsemen as like modern, I mean, this is, this is technology or this is, this is spiritual, oh, I'm sorry, this is military power. We would think of it in terms of like tanks and jets and those kind of things. Well, Pharaoh is looking at his chariots and his horsemen and his army, and he is going to say to himself, well, I can go down there and I can defeat Israel, and I can recapture Israel, and I can make Israel my own. Pharaoh trusts in chariots and horses. In fact, this is going to be one of the things that God is going to say through, uh, especially to Israel's kings later on, is don't trust in chariots and horses. Don't look back to Egypt. Don't look back to what Pharaoh trusted in. Look to me. I'm God. I've delivered you. I've delivered you over and over again. I've delivered you in battle after battle. I delivered you from Egypt. I delivered you in in conquering those who who stood against you. Yes, he's going to come against you, and then I will get glory over him. It's also one of the things we ought to think about as far as what we think about why God uh, leads us or why God does things the way that he does. That tends to, the, the thing that, that brings out doubt in our life tends to be our circumstances. We are looking around at things and going, God, I, I, I see the way that you are bringing things about, and this is not the way I would have done it. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's about God getting glory by saving you. You get, you get the joy of salvation, and God gets the glory for salvation. Maybe it's not about what you think. Or what you think is the right way. And it's about trusting God. Trusting in his ways. Probably one of the other things that is part of Pharaoh's problem is that he's looking at, uh, he's looking at Israel. And he's thinking that their God is like all the Egyptian gods. The Egyptian gods are, uh, like all pagan gods, are not, they're not really gods. They're just, they're just like people, only bigger and more powerful. They think of their gods as fickle and capricious and they can kind of be with you at one time and not be with you the next time. They'll give you, they'll give you rain this spring and next spring they won't. You know, they, they, won't, they won't always be there for you. That's not what God is like. God is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And so when, when Israel leaves, Pharaoh is saying, well, God has left them. Now, now no matter what God has done before, I can go and take them. I can go and recover them. God's not with them anymore. The reality is, is that God is with them. God is with them. He's making his presence known among them with this pillar of smoke by day or pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. He is right there making his presence known with them, leading them. You can see, though, in verses 5 through uh, 9, chapter 14, verses 5 through 9. Exactly what God said was going to happen is what happens. Pharaoh sees them and he says, 
what were we thinking? We're losing our slave labor. We're losing our servants. It might have been, might have been a week or two since they left. Egypt is seeing we're losing our slave force, and they might go join some other people and come and attack us. What, what were we thinking, letting them go? It's, part of, it's a demonstration of the irrationality of fighting and defying God. But that's what they do. See that he thinks that God is not faithful. We see one person, though, one example of someone who does believe in the faithfulness of God. Look at chapter 13, verse 19. It says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Joseph died 400 years before. But he told his brothers in chapter 50, Genesis 50, when you leave here, God is going to visit you. God is going to come, and he's going to come to save you. And when he does, you take me up with you, and you carry me to the promised land. Bury me with my fathers. God, God promised that he would give us this land as our land. He promised that he would give us this. I believe that promise. However long it takes, I'm trusting God. You bring my body up. You bring my bones up. One of the things that Joseph is demonstrating here is, is a belief in the afterlife, a belief that God blesses people even after their death. He's showing his faith in God's promises. He's, he's believing in, in so much that we have so much more to, to grab hold of than even he did. That Jesus Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. Joseph was believing that God was going to keep his promises even after he died. How much more reason do we have to believe now that Jesus has been raised from the dead? Now that Jesus has, has been raised and says that he will, we will be raised by that same power. We ought to be trusting God's promises. One of the things you can go and look at and reflect on is, is Hebrews 11. Some of you will be familiar with that. This list of all these people who, who had these promises. All the people in the Old Testament who had these promises. And they didn't get to see them fulfilled. They died. But they believed that God's promises were true even beyond the grave. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me, even if he die like everybody else, yet shall he live. That is our promise. That is our hope. We believe in God's faithfulness. God is always faithful to his promises. We know who God is. Believe his promises. Next we see faith in God's wisdom. Faith in God's wisdom, or at least in the lack of it. Uh, faith in God's wisdom. Let's pick up in verse 10, chapter 14, verse 10. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we say to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Cry to me. 
Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that, so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Well, Pharaoh is coming with his army. See the dust clouds. You start to see the troops coming in. You start to see the horses and the chariots coming up. And the Israelites see that. And they turn to Moses, much the same way they did in in chapter 5. Now, kind of compare, if you you can, if you remember chapter 5. Chapter 5 is when they, they at first believed what God had said through Moses. But then things got hard. They had to make bricks without straw. And so they said to Moses, like, you've made it worse for us. Didn't we, tell us to, didn't we tell you to leave us alone? Didn't we tell you, like, like, why did you come to trouble us? Why did you come to make things hard for us? It would have been better if you had, you had just left us alone. Now we're going to die. But then there was something that happened pretty big in between then and now. Right? God had sent plagues on Egypt and devastated Egypt. And God had... had Given the lamb, the lamb's blood was over the, the doorposts, the, the door, doors of their houses so that God would pass over their houses. The lamb took away God's judgment against them. Some pretty big things had happened. And yet when they look at Pharaoh's army, they still doubt. They still don't believe. They say, hey, what, didn't we tell you? Sort of convenient refashioning of their memories, Right? There's no record of this exactly the way to say it, but don't we kind of remember things the way we want to remember them? Moses, didn't we tell you? We, we, didn't, we didn't even want, we wanted you to leave us alone. That's what we wanted. We wanted to be slaves. We liked being slaves. It's almost the way it sounds. Like, it'd be better for us to stay and serve in Egypt than to come out here. God, God Moses tells them, you used to be quiet. In fact, in fact, look at verse 14. You, know, you have only to be silent. That's kind of a polite translation. It's really kind of like, stop your grumbling and your complaining and your doubting and your fearing. Be, just be quiet and watch what God is going to do. You know, I, among Christians, it is now fashionable to be okay with doubt. Now, this is tricky, okay? So, I think sometimes it can be helpful for us to be honest and transparent with one another about our doubts. But it can be helpful for us to be honest the same way it's honest, it's good for us to be honest about any of our sins. Because that's what doubt is. Doubt is sinful. Now, it's forgivable sin, but it's sin. We're not, supposed to, we're not supposed to doubt. We're supposed to believe. Doubt is nowhere commended in the Scriptures. Faith is commended. Faith, in spite of what we see, is commended. Faith is what we're supposed to be pursuing. So when we are transparent with one another, or honest with one another, even when we're honest with God about our doubts, our honesty is not so that we would bring along doubt with us and keep doubt kind of as our 
our little pet that we're going to keep along with us and we're going to feed it and we're going to nourish it and we're going we're gonna to act like we, we love it and want to keep it with us. No, doubt is to be destroyed. Doubt is to be dismantled. We are supposed to be fighting doubt in our minds and in our lives because faith is what we are supposed to have in God. Once, lots of times when I, I read several Christian articles about doubt, just while I was reading this, and they all kind of make it sound like, well, doubt's just normal, let's not make a big deal about it, let's not, let's not, certainly, and certainly, Jude 22, we should have mercy on those who doubt. But doubt is not virtuous. Doubt is sinful. And when, when you are looking at the Israelites, and they're looking at Pharaoh and his army, they don't have any reason to doubt. That's one of the things we, we make out. We make it out like it's perfectly reasonable, it's perfectly normal for me to doubt. It is not reasonable or normal for us to doubt. If we saw clearly the way that things really are, we would not be doubting. We would be believing. That's the problem. The problem of our, the problem of our doubt is not that we are seeing things clearly and we just don't, don't, we're just dealing with reality the way that it is. The problem with our doubts is that we don't see clearly. If we saw clearly who God was, that he is powerful, that he is wise, that he is faithful, that he is good in all that he does, if we saw that clearly, we would never doubt. When Adam and Eve were having this dialogue with Satan in the garden, with the serpent in the garden, they were not seeing clearly. They were being deceived. When we are doubting, it is because we are deceived about the reality of who God is. Our God is faithful. Our God is true. Our God is just. Our God is wise. Our God is loving. He will never abandon us. That's the truth. That's reality. If we doubt, we need to pray that God would take the blinders off so that we would see Pharaoh's army for just what it is. Just somebody else for God to run over and make himself glorious and majestic and wonderful in the eyes of the whole world. You see that army? Be quiet and watch God save you. That's what Moses says. Do not disbelieve, but believe is what Jesus tells Thomas. So let's believe. That's almost what God, then God says to Moses. As, as if your disbelief, your doubts, your fear is completely irrational. Why are you crying out to me now? Like, wh- what are you complaining about Tell everybody it's time to break camp and go forward. Where is forward? Like, like, like there's Pharaoh's army, there's the wilderness, and there's the sea. Which way is forward? But God says, break camp, stand up, and go forward. You're going to stretch out your arm over the sea, and it's going to divide, and you will walk through on dry ground. Stop disbelieving. Stop doubting. Stop fearing. Believe in in me. Believe in what you have seen. Believe in the way that God has worked. And these, these things, they ought to feed and they ought to nourish our faith. 
Listen, if, if you, you I, I think that anybody who's been a Christian for a while can look back on things that God has done. But if you don't have anything to look back on, just look at what God has done in the scriptures. It feeds and nurses our faith. Stop doubting. Believe. Last thing that we're going to see is faith in God's power. Pick up in verse 19. Then the angel of God, who was going before the hosts of Israel, moved and went out, went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a, a wall to them on their right hand on their, on, and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. You see the, the angel is in this pillar of cloud or pillar of fire. Now, earlier it said that the Lord was in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. I think there's good reason. We've looked at it before in the book of Exodus to think that the, the angel of the Lord, the one who is called the angel of the Lord in the book of Exodus and, and many other times in the Old Testament, he's in some places separate from God or distinguished from God. And yet in other places he is very closely identified with the Lord. I think that there's good reason to think that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. This is the Son of God. He is with God's people. He is the one who makes it so that God is always with his people. He's traveling with his people. Well, anyway, the, the pillar of cloud comes between the army and the Israelites in the night, seemingly to, to give the Israelites a head start. So makes it where they can't come, can't, uh, Pharaoh can't come near them all night. He's protecting them. And then God sends a strong wind to turn the water into walls like the the wording used here in the original language is like these are city walls like these are walls that go straight up on each side uh just like i mean this is one of the few times but just like you see in the movies i mean this is one of the few times like just like where 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 maybe hollywood got it right like like it's like walls on each side and he says go through the midst and who goes in right after them pharaoh 
Pharaoh, Pharaoh, his whole army, all his chariots, all his horsemen. Remember the Lord is going to get glory over Pharaoh, over his chariots and his horsemen and his army. They, they all go in. And then Israelites getting to the other side, get to the other side, and God throws, God looks down. It's one of my favorite things that God does in the, in the Old Testament is that whenever anybody raises themselves up in pride as if they're very very high God looks down on them and throws them into confusion and their wheels start to clog so they've got these these got these these vehicles these chariots that are their advantage in war but but in the middle of a muddy sea when God starts to clog up their wheels and and cause them to fear they don't do you any good chariots don't help you against God and so they start to panic, their wheels start to clog, they, they turn to run away, they, remember what, what God just said in the last paragraph, I will get glory over them and then they will know that I am the Lord. What do they say in this, this, this paragraph? The Lord is fighting for Israel. They know who the Lord is. Remember what Pharaoh had said in the very beginning when, when Moses had first come to Pharaoh and said, the Lord, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should listen to him? Well, now he knows who the Lord is. And then God says to Moses, put your hand back over the sea. And the walls come down. And they are thrown into the midst of the sea. They are, they are destroyed in the midst of the sea. Not, not a single rider, not a single horseman, not a single footman, not a single chariot makes it through. The, the Israelites see the corpses washing up on the, on the edge of the seashore. And you see what it says there, there at the very end? They saw the Lord's power and they believed. They believed in the Lord. They believed in the Lord's prophet, Moses. They believed. God brought Israel through these waters of death, these waters of judgment. God brought them through to salvation. And they looked at God's power and they believed. How much more should we believe in God's power now? Now that Jesus Christ walked not into the water, but walked into the grave. And he walked out the other side. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Jesus Christ has conquered the last enemy. 1 Corinthians 15. The last enemy is death. Jesus Christ has defeated all of our enemies. He has defeated death. Let us believe in God's power. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will be the same power that caused us, causes us to be born again. It's the same power that raises us from the dead. It's the same power that through his death on the cross forgives us of our sins. The power of God has been displayed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. No longer disbelieve, but believe. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, uh, we confess that you are all-powerful. There is no God like you who is faithful and powerful and wise and good.
And we long for your glory. Please glorify your name. Make your name to be seen as holy. Make it so that people would know your name. That they would know the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Make it so that your name will be glorified in all the earth. That your name will be glorified in, in every language and among all peoples and among in, in little tribes and, and all the families of the earth. We blessed by knowing your name and knowing the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Grant that we would hold fast and stand firm. That we would believe. That we would believe in your power to raise us from the dead. We would believe in your power to give us eternal life. You have made all things. Your word made all things, and by your word all things are sustained. Please grant that we would believe. Help us to continue to believe in your faithfulness. That when life is not looking the way that we think that it ought to, when we are not being led the way that we want to go, that we believe that you are faithful to guide us and lead us and carry us through to the other side. Grant that we would have faith not only in you, but not only have faith in you, but that we would be ready to suffer with Christ. Because we know that there is an inheritance ahead of us. There is a promise ahead of us. Even if we should die having not received all the things that have been promised to us, that we would die in faith, knowing that we will live with Christ in eternity. Grant that we would believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.